Join me, Dr. Cathy Weston, for my podcast series, Get a Grip, brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. In each podcast, I help unpick some of the trickier questions relating to how we raise children today. How do we talk to children about mental health? How can we make sure our children engage safely with the digital world? Whose responsibility is the mental health education of our children, teachers or parents? These podcasts get me talking and you thinking. I've reached out to today's thought leaders and main researchers in this area and asked them their views on the areas where we need to get a grip. Professor Catherine Olmach works at the University of Hertfordshire, where she is Professor of Health, Young People and Family Lives. Welcome to the Get a Grip podcast, Catherine. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Nice to talk to you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I've wanted to invite you on to as a guest to this podcast for such a long time. And one of the reasons is when I, I obviously give lots of talks in schools every week and I meet hundreds of parents every week. And sometimes I will um, meet in particular uh, lesbian parents who will come up to me after one of my talks and say, well, I'm, I, I don't know how that research is relevant to us. Or, for example, I will mention some of the research on, say, fathering, or I'll mention the importance of, say, a close relationship a father may have to their daughter through adolescence, etc. And then sometimes I feel very inadequate when I'm asked by, in particular, lesbian parents, how that relates to their family context. Mm. And it's something I know very little about. And I think your work, we need to highlight it. We need to highlight particular issues that um, same-sex parents um, may experience that I know nothing about so that I'm able to better engage with the parents that I meet. And it's my responsibility to make sure that my knowledge is up to date. So that's mm. really why I'd thought about asking you onto the podcast. Well, that's great. It'd be lovely to have the opportunity to talk some more about it because that is an issue that comes up, I think, for lesbian parents in school it and is, it is. Parents, yeah, that, that it's some, in, some invisibility. That's right. So are you able to sort of begin with just telling us a little bit of an overview of your work as it relates to parenting and families? Tell us about some of the highlights, the things that you're working on. Okay. Well, actually, in, in recent years, a lot of my work has focused on lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans family lives across the life course. I was at the University of Nottingham before I moved to the University of Hertfordshire and a lot of my work focused on older LGBT people and particularly end-of-life care because I was in a research centre about end-of-life care. But since I've moved to Hertfordshire, which was two years ago, I've had the opportunity to revisit research I've, uh, I carried out for my PhD on lesbian parent families, which was started in 1998 and I was interviewing lesbian parents in 1999, year 2000. And I've got funding to go back and revisit those families, which has been fascinating to be revisiting the women 19 years later, and also talking to some of the young people, young you know, children who are now young adults. And that's been a period of time of enormous change for same-sex relationships, moving from clause 28 I'm not sure if you're aware of that. It was a, a government legislation that banned promotion of homosexuality and pretend family relationships. Through to now, we have civil partnerships and same-sex marriage and better adoption rights for same-sex couples. 
So, so I've been interested really, and all of my research is underpinned by an interest in family lives and the ways that sexual orientation and gender identity impact on that. And goodness me, is that it is extremely current. You must be working in the most contemporary, interesting space because there at the moment, my goodness, this is a top headline issue. We think we've come very far as a society in a liberal democracy. And then we've had a month's worth of protests outside a primary school where parents do not want schools even discussing different family structures and formats. And I have to ask you about that. How can we reconcile how far we've come with what's happening currently? Yeah, I mean, that that is concerning. I'm trying to think how to respond to that question. We've made progress legally, for example, you know, the, the, and, and same-sex marriage. And, you know, we're meant to be, it's not even meant to be an issue anymore. Yet sometimes things crop up that show perhaps that people aren't as tolerant as, we're not as tolerant as a nation as perhaps we, we, we think we are. Yeah, and certainly social attitudes don't necessarily move at the same pace as legislation has has done so. The, the British Social Attitudes Survey throughout the years has shown an increased tolerance of same-sex parenthood, although the tolerance of same-sex couples parenting is never at the same level of tolerance of same-sex relationships. So it does seem that parenting within same-sex relationships still in some some parts of society causes concern and um and you know it's led to as you say that the protests um in birmingham which you know for for same-sex couples whose children attend that school must be deeply distressing and how you reconcile that um you know with religious beliefs is, is a difficult one but i think you know we have to look at respecting different people's ways to to um you know have family lives that that match their relationships. And also the right of children to walk to school without hearing things that may be very, very traumatising or upsetting about their own family structure. So I think that that was, it sort of brought to light really for me, gosh, you know. Yes, and I think it showed, you know, in, in the days when we had section 28, which I think was finally repealed in 2003 um, and on statute for about 15 years, when that legislation was in, you know, libraries couldn't have books that promoted same-sex relationships or families. Schools weren't allowed to to teach about same-sex relationships, you know, across all local authority institutions. Then there was a huge motivation in the LGBT community to protest against that. And um, and to see it repealed was a cause for great celebration. So to see actions like those protests, you know, popping up is is concerning. And I think we have to be vigilant of of gains made and increased tolerance. So I want to start with I suppose the the things that lesbian parents, for example, have to put up with which I've been reading about, you know, and I want to get to the heart of some myths and stereotypes and just air them. So one of the things I was reading about with with certain same-sex couples have to put up with, people asking them which one is the mum, asking them how they had the baby, 
which is extremely personal, isn't it? And yet same-sex parents have to put up with some intolerable questions and queries. Who's the father out of the pair of you? Who's the daddy? Doesn't your child miss out on doing dad's activities? What if your children get bullied at school? Do you think your child will turn out gay? You know, It's important, isn't it, to always start with people's fears and worries and biases and stereotypes and just tell us how universal is it for same-sex parents to experience that kind of intimate questioning and, and having to constantly face that barrage of queries and curiosities. Yes, it's an incredibly common issue that women do face these kind of questions that you've just outlined. I met a woman just last week, actually, at a conference on a different topic, but I was talking about my research and she um, and her partner, they've just had a baby and the midwife was trying to figure out who was going to be the daddy in the family. And another question that's very common from women I've spoken to is, is who's the real mum? And what they're asking there is who gave birth to the child? When in fact, for the the couples themselves, that's not the issue at stake. You know, that's not the important question to be asking. It's, you know, it's recognition that this child has two mums who might have different titles, you know, but sometimes they're mummy and um, mum or, you know, different words for parents. But those sort of issues, I think, are incredibly common for women parenting together. And when I've talked to the women, and one of the interesting things about revisiting is when I spoke to them when they were planning their families and having children, is all the different concerns they had about the issues they would encounter. And of course, they're then having people coming into their lives who aren't necessarily in their control. So they're dealing with nurseries, they're dealing with school staff, they're dealing with healthcare professionals and being asked questions a lot about their family structures, which are quite intrusive. And um, and it leads to a kind of lifelong work of having to come out about their families and to explain their family structures and to deal with what what are inappropriate questions. Totally inappropriate. And no heterosexual parent would ever tolerate even being asked those sorts of things. No. So, and no. it must be incredibly exhausting answering those sorts of things and anticipating what's going to happen next. And it's very disappointing, isn't it, when health professionals are asking questions like that? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I think it, it is quite common from, from the women I've talked to and the research I've done and the research I've read that healthcare professionals are one group that need to, to raise awareness, really, to deal with LGBT families across the board and at different stages of their life. So one of the the things that I don't know the answer to, because when I'm going through the research, and obviously there is a ton of research, say, on the importance of fathers. And as a criminologist, my sort of specialty was looking at the importance of fathers because our prisons are full of the sons of authoritarian or neglectful or absent or abusive fathers. So fathers are very important to my work and I'm a great advocate of fatherhood. So when a lesbian parent, for example, asks me 
you know, how is she meant to feel when I'm advocating the importance of fathers? I'm really at a loss. I don't know. You know, I go back to say attachment work and I say, well, I say to all of my parents, look, what matters is not who's raising the child, but the quality of your relationship with your child. But then I still have this volume of research on the importance of fathers. So how can I reconcile that? Yes, that that came out a lot in my research about, and particularly, you know, going back to the time when the the women I'm revisiting, um, looking at their family lives over two decades, when they were planning their their families, if they were going to donor clinics, for example, for conception, they it was it was in legislation at that time from the um, you know regulation of fertility clinics, the Human Embryology and Fertilisation Act enshrined in law in a sense the the need to consider the child's need for a father um, before they would allow donor insemination and that's that's been taken out now but there have over time been very strong messages of course about the importance of fathers and I never asked women that question um, because I didn't want to repeat that discourse if you like when I'm talking to two women parenting together But they would nevertheless tell me about how they had planned for male role models in their children's lives. So, you know, women did did kind of respond to those discourses and saw it as important that their children had male role models. And going back to to talk to them again, you know, and and to the young people now as well who are young adults. You know, children do have male models in their life. Um, You know, they have grandfathers, they have uncles, they have friends of the parents. So there are different ways, I think, that men feature in the lives of children raised by lesbian parents. And and I've never come across lesbian parents who, you know, don't don't want any involvement of men in their children's lives. But I think that the the key thing is that, you know, children need to know that they're, they're cherished and they're loved um, unconditionally, and that same-sex parents do do a fine job of providing that environment. And although that's you know it's still seen as a different kind of family setting, that's the most important thing at the end of the day. One of the things I've 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 read in your research and other research is that actually some of the outcomes for children parented by same-sex parents are way better than the sort of the, you know, the normative outcomes for children Mm. parented by heterosexual Mm. parents. Now, one reason for that may be that same-sex parents put so much thought and care and consideration and heartbreak and financial investment, everything into planning and having that baby that they are perhaps more treasured in those particular circumstances. Is that something that you'd agree with? I think, yes, and I think that's certainly something that, that women I've spoken to have, have said, that, you know, children don't come about by accident, that they are planned, um, and, and a great deal of thought and planning goes into planning to have a family as a, as a lesbian parent couple. And I think there's, you know, there's a tremendous amount of, of research that has focused on, on outcomes for children being raised by lesbian parent couples decades, in fact, of peer-reviewed research, which overall tends to focus on developmental outcomes, so gender identity, well-being, social stigma, and all of that research generally says there is no difference, in fact, between 
the outcomes for children raised by heterosexual parents and children raised by lesbian or gay parents. But more recently, I think, and I think that research has been incredibly valuable in, in defending um, same-sex parented families. Um, but I think more recently, there has been a closer look at some of that research. And as you say, that some of the outcomes are actually better for children raised in, in same-sex families. And that's partly stems from the kind of planning that, that goes into these families and the commitment to, to having children. But also, I think that because they have to deal with prejudice and discrimination and lack of awareness about their family structures, that they have very open conversations with their children that, that raise awareness in their children's lives about tolerance of difference. Um, and that seems to make some impact as well in, in better outcomes for, for children raised by same-sex parents. Yeah, that's a very interesting point that they will be much more transparent and proactive. I always say to parents, make sure, you know, you indulge in a lot of preemptive strikes as a parent. You pre-warn your children about anything that may happen. But actually, perhaps same-sex parents are particularly proactive in that regard. I think they are. And I think um, in terms of planning for children going into nursery or school environments, they're thinking ahead about potential for discrimination bullying, stigma, and preparing those the children in advance. So all of the women I've spoken to in lesbian parent couples have made the move to be very out and proud about their families. And I think that's really important because they have to demonstrate that confidence to their children and talked in advance about strategies that children might need to manage questions in school about where's your dad? You know, why do you have two mums? You know, those sort of questions that, that lesbian parents have been used to, to responding to and that their children may well have to respond to as well. In your experience, do lesbian parents um, feel under enormous pressure to get it right, to not break up, to make sure their children behave particularly well because people can throw mud at them so easily in today's society? Mm. I'm not sure about that one. I don't think we've had enough research about the, and this is one of the interesting things about the research I'm doing at the minute, is, is revisiting families. So sociologically getting um, a longitudinal view of family family lives. We have some of that in the psychological literature, but we haven't got any of that looking more in depth at the family lives. So a number of the, probably about 50% of the couples that I'm re-interviewing have separated and they haven't they haven't talked about pressure to stay together, but they've they've certainly seemed to make you know enormous effort to parent well together, even though living separately. So a number of the couples, for example, have made decisions about living very closely together, you know, on the same street or in the same area, to to continue parenting together, and have achieved that very successfully. So I think that's more the issue is to continue parenting well together post-separation rather than pressures to stay together. And some of the pressures I think they've faced that is coming out of my research that has led to, to separation. There is a suggestion, however tentative, that the pressures they faced as lesbian parents and um, lack of support from family and wider society has put pressures on their relationship that have contributed to separation. 
Which is really sad, isn't it? Families are under so much pressure, no matter their structure. Or yes. family, and isn't it sad, you know, that the community, you know, we need to support children, no matter what family they belong to. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So that's interesting. So there may be some sort of societal pressures that seem a little bit difficult to, to cope with. Yes, I think so. Yes. And so at least for the women, um, when I first interviewed them for my study, you know, at the turn of the century, in essence, you know, their relationships have been tolerated by their families of origin. So, you know, their parents, etc., brothers and sisters. But at the point at which they were planning to have children or announced a pregnancy, a significant number of the families felt that was a wrong decision to make. And, you know, and in some cases it led to estrangement from parents and from brothers and sisters. Which is desperately sad, isn't it? Mm. And do you think that families' intolerance of same-sex parents having children has improved over time? I think it has, yes, yes. And and even um, you know, for the, the couples that I interviewed, certainly once the children arrived, you know, a lot of those obstacles were overcome, and the, and the important thing was the relationship with the child and having a grandchild or a niece, nephew. And the, the kind of intolerance was, was overcome in that sense because what mattered was the, the relationship with the child. And they could see that they, the parents were raising the child and you know, managing parenthood as well as any couple. So, you know, those issues did get addressed over time. And I think overall, and certainly with civil partnerships and same-sex marriage, and this has come through in other research I've done across the life course, is that that has made a big difference to family recognition, that ability to, to show commitment to a relationship. And if, if there are teachers listening, you know, who are leading a school community, what's your best advice in terms of how teachers can better support, you know, LGBT families? And what are the things perhaps they should think about when supporting those pupils who've got family structures resembling that? Mm. Well, I think um, I think first of all, they'll they'll no doubt be aware of children in their class who are being raised by same-sex parents because um, most same-sex parents will will prepare teachers in advance of a child entering into the school to tell them about their family. In my experience, parents are very happy and willing to to communicate with teachers to best support the children so teachers shouldn't be at all concerned about approaching families and you know the parents of children being raised by same-sex parents to ask them for advice or materials etc because I, I know that you know lesbian gay parents would be more than willing to do that I think preparing and thinking just not making assumptions but and, and thinking very carefully about the images that we have around us which are predominantly heterosexual and books that show heterosexual families and thinking about finding resources that show a wider range of family lives and being aware if children are being teased in class or if there are any issues coming up um, and dealing with that as you know taking a whole class approach and speaking to the whole class to, to try and preemptive those kind of issues arising. Another common thing that's come up for same-sex parents is dealing with Mother's Day and Father's Day. And I think that that needs to be handled sensitively. You know, if children in primary schools are making cards for Mother's Day or Father's Day, 
and what to do about that and perhaps looking at it being parents day yeah that's such a lovely little tweak that could mean so much to to some families yes yeah yeah and ultimately it's about being as inclusive as possible and making sure that children don't feel alienated or or different yes and in a sense it's you know it's a different form of cultural sensitivity so similarly, you know, to having black and minority ethnic children in the school and thinking about different religions that might be practised, it's a different level of cultural sensitivity that needs needs to be worked on. Indeed, indeed. And in terms of parents, the, the sort of the protective factors that, that work well in same-sex parents, what would you say are the strengths of same-sex families, same-sex parenting? What are the great assets of it that perhaps we overlook? Well, I think, you know, we've, we've touched on some of those al- already. So the, the fact that, you know, same-sex families don't come about by accident. And on the whole, these are, are parents who are planning for their children, having to give it a lot of thought, invest money, etc. That that in itself is a protective factor, that these children are very much wanted, um, you know, even before they come into existence, and I think the fact that, that same-sex parents, um, you know, have to think about and deal with intolerance in society and how to respond to that and are very open with their children on the whole and, you know, deal with issues as, an, as age appropriate, but prepare their children to, to look at understanding and acceptance of different family configurations and different sorts of families in society that that can make a big difference as well and be a protective factor for for children. In a sense, from what you've said, it's disappointing that a lot of the stigma may actually have come from um, lesbians' own parents or own families rather than society as a whole. Like, that's yes. quite, that must be terribly yes. hard to cope with. Yes, I think it is. I think, you know, and, and actually even revisiting lesbian parents as I'm doing you know after 20 years of parenting they've still referred back to those early days and you know some of those family relationships haven't quite been mended as a result of that because of the hurt caused early on so although the relationships have on on the whole improved you know and, and grandparents have very close relationships with their grandchildren there's some remembering of those early responses and the hurt that caused that lives on really and I think that's the same for LGBT people across the life course that the stigma and discrimination has an impact throughout the life course. And certainly from your research you can tell that there are so many layers and levels to this stigma you know there's the initially coming out which is an enormous decision which you've researched significantly and then there's pairing up perhaps with another uh, lesbian parent and choosing to have a family then there's another coming out there are all these different comings out having a baby you know and how and they must be masters of of negotiating you know through these different such you know you get a real flavor from your research as to how difficult and painful some of these processes are yes yes and I think in some of the papers that I've published I talk about layers of coming out so it's never a one-off process. You know, there's the initial announcement perhaps to parents about entering into a same-sex relationship, but it's it's a continuous day-by-day issue for, for same-sex, you know, couples in same-sex relationships to, to come out 
and to decide how and when decisions to be made on the spot sometimes. So a, a kind of guidance that some women have spoken about is that, is this somebody who's going to come into my life more than once and do I need to tell them? Because it, it's, it's also then needs an explanation to some degree rather than just a, a one-off, you know, I'm a lesbian parent. Sometimes that needs further explanation or, you know, it leads to further questions. And women told me, you know, about all, all kinds of different small encounters day to day with, um, you know, staff in shops, you know, people on the bus, people in school, healthcare professionals, a, a whole range of different encounters that um, they're having to make decisions about whether to come out. And it takes so much mental energy, uh, you know, to deal. I can't even imagine. And if if people are listening, say, and and they want to know what are appropriate questions to ask same-sex parents? What would you, adv- you know, if just out of general curiosity, interest, or in the interest of being supportive, what would you say are optimal questions to ask, or the best questions to ask? Um, I don't know if there are optimal questions, but I think what, what lesbian parents would say to that is is that not, because they're accustomed to being asked questions, they they do have some sense of judgment when people are genuinely interested or when it's it's more you know nuanced or there's something underlying it you know so those questions about who's the real mum for example so that's one question not to ask i think and it's just an acceptance that you know a child has two parents who are two mums or two dads and asking you know, questions about, you know, as, as you would any heterosexual couple about their children, you know, what their interests are and what they do at weekends. So it's it's similar kind of questions that you, you know, you, you would have in conversation with a heterosexual couple rather than, you know, asking about the difference and what that means in terms of, you know, the biological and social relationships within that family or, um, you know, are they acting out different gender roles? Or are they concerned about the absence of, you know, one or the other, an absence of a mother or an absence of a father? And they are genuinely intrusive and inappropriate questions for they sure. Are. Yeah. And we do, you know, we do live in a society with all kinds of different families now. So it's just, yeah, I think it's that acceptance that, that that's same sex couples and parents are part of that wider diversity. Lovely. Thank you. And what are you working on at the moment? Um, What are you excited about in your research, Catherine, that you'd like to share with us? So as I've said that I'm um, going back to to families that I first interviewed nearly 20 years ago. Um, So it's been incredibly exciting and fascinating to go back to those families um, and talk to the parents, some of whom are still together and some of whom have separated um, and to revisit their original interviews, the kind of concerns they had about how their children were going to move through the world and what discrimination they might face throughout their lives and how to prepare for that um, and how to prepare for not having a, a dad as such. Whether there'd be questions about you know, children who were conceived through donor clinics who weren't going to have the option of ever knowing anything about the paternal genetic origins other than very very limited information of course that's changed because now we don't have anonymous donation at clinics right so there's more to find out information how have the children of those couples responded to the knowledge of their birth of their circumstances of their conception sorry on the 
whole, because it's been talked about with them from a very early age, they've had that knowledge throughout their lives. Um, and so, you know, sometimes they, as they grow older, they might want more detail about their family story. I haven't encountered any young people, and I've been talking to young people as well, who have any sense of regret about not, if, if they're being conceived through a donor clinic, they don't have any particular urge or, or feelings of loss in not having that knowledge about their paternal genetic origins. Um, and I think that's probably because their parents have been so open from day one about, you know, having how they plan to have a child and that they've got two parents um, and, you know, the child was very much wanted. So I suppose that's that's different from, for example, children who've been adopted who we, you know, we quite often hear that they you know, quite often have an urge to find their birth parents. So that openness throughout, I think, makes makes a big difference. Yeah, and that's such a progressive approach. I'm always telling parents that we need to very mm. much be much more transparent and open. And But actually, same-sex parents are far ahead of most other parents in that regard, yes. out of necessity. I think that's true, yes. And, and of course, I suppose as we're talking, we shouldn't forget that, you know, most of my research has been about lesbian couples planning to have children in the context of their relationship. But children come into, you know, have been parented by same-sex parents in a range of different ways. So there's increasing opportunities for gay men to have children. And that, that might come through in schools more and more that, you know, gay couples are having children through adoption or surrogacy. And, you know, that there'll be parents who've been in heterosexual relationships and had children who have later moved into a same-sex relationship. So even within you know, the same-sex parenthood, and families, there'll, there'll be different different configurations and different ways that, that children have come into those families. Yeah, that's, it's really important, isn't it, to always keep our, our minds, you know, broadened and to, to think about the mm. nothing is black and white, is it? That's why we're having these discussions, because to remind yes. ourselves that this is a multi-layered, families look different, they change, they evolve, and just keep that flexibility in our own thinking. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly it. It is reminding ourselves, isn't it? Because um, obviously it's quite often in the forefront of my mind because this is a a big part of my research. But, you know, for a lot of people, it it won't necessarily be at the forefront of their mind. And and it's trying to keep that openness um, and keep awareness raised about all kinds of diversities of of families that we now see in society. Certainly, would you agree, though, that with same-sex male parents, certainly, you know, celebrities like Elton John and, and David Furnish, they certainly help, don't they? Because people are learning about how those dynamics work well in a sort of a public way. Yeah, I think that's true. And that's, that's been interesting, you know, and that's been been a sign of, of change in a sense that we see that in, in the media more and more. Tim Daly is another one, isn't he, who, who is married um, and he and his husband have, have a child. So, yeah, so I think that does help. But I suppose what same-sex parents would say was that they, you know, they have the privilege of wealth to some extent and celebrity that is that helps protect their families. And while that has raised awareness to some extent, the experience of, you know, intrusive questions, inappropriate questions, discrimination um, still exists for, for, you know, Joe Blogs, if you like. That's right. So whilst it sort of helps answer some questions to, for, for the mm. public, it, it obviously it's not 
remotely comparable in other ways. Yeah, and I think- Everything more is exceptional than the rule still. Yeah, yeah. And what about, um, just from all of your vast experience, what are the sort of best resources, organisations, charities, books, just off the top of your head, for same-sex parents and their children or schools? What do you say are the best kind of national organisations or things that you find that are terribly useful for people to access? I've got some books on my bookshelf, actually. They've completely gone out of my head as to what they are. But I could send you some links to books that that talk about same-sex families. You know, And there's a more recent book just giving life stories of lesbian parents and how they've dealt with things over the years. I'm hoping to, to write a book from my research that I'm, I'm doing, looking at the 20 years of lesbian parenting. But I think online, um, there are, there's good organisations. So there's Pink Parents org.uk which is a good resource um, and and I think if you google rainbow families there are rainbow family groups up and down the country which are groups for um, lesbian and gay parents to to go to with their children because that's important as well that children see other families like their own so that they don't feel you know they're, they're the only family who are different and that's that's been something that lesbian parents I've talked to have put a lot of effort into to creating networks around them to demonstrate family diversity to their children. Well, those are some really great tips. I've not, I haven't heard of any of those, so that's amazing. Yeah, so we can certainly signpost parents to maybe so just some of your top picks books that you think are re- are really good you know even the the ones that you've mentioned about the stories of lesbian parenting that's a great book for a teacher to read isn't it to get yes. some insight into yes, yeah those particular yeah. families yeah and there are there are books for children as well showing different families being raised by two women or two men that I can't think of off the top of my head but I'd, I'd be very happy to send you some references if you could put those up Absolutely, so what we do with each podcast is we add notes at the end on the website so people can actually download the notes as a, as a resource sheet, so let's try and collect some of those together and if people are listening and they know of a great resource or a book or a website they can certainly let us know That Yeah, that would be really tremendous and you know, there, there might be resources out there that I don't know about that would be very helpful to me too Okay, so we can start that dialogue together. And lastly, I always ask this of of active researchers like you. Would you welcome um, same sex parents getting in touch if they want to if they want to participate in any research? Do you have any opportunities for same sex parents to get involved? Yes, I mean, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I want to go on and do next, um, stemming from this longitudinal work I've been doing, and we we don't have much research about parenting across households. So what happens when lesbian parents separate, for example, and that's an area that I'm, I'm keen to look at further. Because, you know, we can't often hear about, you know, divorce being damaging to children. And my impression of the, the research I've done so far with lesbian parents is that they work very hard together to minimise damage caused by, by them separating. That's dissolving a civil partnership or same-sex marriage. So that's work that I, I want to go on and do. And I'm always very happy to hear from lesbian couples or lesbian parents who want to access some of my work because I I've, I've tried to make, write it in a very accessible way and the best feedback I have on my work is when is lesbians who've got in touch with me and said it's been really useful to them in thinking through decisions. So I wrote a paper for example about surname choices 
for lesbian couples having children, what, how they can make the decision to choose surnames for their child, which isn't straightforward because there's no particularly one model, you know, as, as you might have in heterosexual couples where, you know, the default is that the child gets the father's name. And so I wrote a whole paper looking at how women came to the decision about making choices around surnames that couples have found really helpful. Absolutely. That I'm holding it, that paper, what's in a name, the significance of the choice of surnames given to children born within lesbian parent families. But you're dead right. You know, your work is so readable. It's enjoyable to read. You know, it's so refreshing to read academic work that's really engaging and interesting. I love the paper you wrote out and about negotiating the layers of being out in the process of disclosure of lesbian parenthood. Even the title from that, I learned, you know, that that these parents are constantly having to negotiate this identity, you know, out in, in, in public spaces and spheres. And it's really interesting. It made me much more compassionate and sympathetic to what they must go through um, in their in their daily experiences. And also just understanding that great context that they, you know, the things that they have to face on a daily basis. I think all of us have a role to to play in sort of, you know, taking ownership for some of the experiences they go through. And and I was left reading your work in awe of lesbian parents because they are so, so much more, so much very, very conscientious parents, aren't they? They are, yes, yeah, and I think, you know, because they have had to put a lot of thought into having and raising children in a society where they're sometimes invisible or not accepted still. So they're very proactive in trying to preempt issues that might come up. And, you know, and in one of my papers, I talk about all the different ways that they get involved in schools to become more visible. That's right. Teachers, providing resources, you know, becoming governors joining parent-teacher associations, etc. And so they do do a tremendous amount of work to, to increase the, the visibility and to demonstrate confidence in their families and to, to make themselves more visible. And it is, it's an ongoing day-by-day process, as you say, those different layers of coming out and encounters every day that they have to deal with. And actually, they're such proactive parent uh, partners, sorry, for schools, which is something I'm very passionate about. And actually, there's a lot of great practice across the country when it comes to um, lesbian parents are, are proactive, confident and proud to be able to share, you know, their stories with, with school communities. Absolutely. And to contribute to the school communities yeah, I think they're a great resource for, for teachers. And Catherine, lastly, do you think enough is done at teacher training level to ensure that our teachers, our teaching practitioners, our, our health professionals are actually, you know, not compromising or complicating the situation for, for lesbian parents? You know, what is it? Are, are we are we doing a good job in that regard? I'm not sure that I, th- I think that could be improved. And I, I've taught, you know, on different, across the years, I've, I've taught social workers, I've taught, you know, educators um, and healthcare professionals. And, and I've been invited to do lectures to contribute to modules. But I think it needs embedding into our university curriculums more in teacher training, nurse education, etc., to, to reflect the diversity of our society 
I know sometimes I've been, you know, the, the charge of political correctness gone mad has been been thrown at me, you know, that we can't consider every nuance. But, you know, lesbian um, LGBT population is, is said to be about 6% of our, our whole population, although, of course, we still don't have accurate estimates. But I think it is important to, you know, embed that cultural sensitivity on a broad spectrum in, into curriculums so that awareness is there from very early on. Yeah, it's just an awareness, isn't it? And making sure it we're is. being as inclusive as yes. possible. Yeah. And not designing not designing curriculums or everything with that sort of heterosexual assumption all the time. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I think then that would increase, you know, the confidence of teachers, of nurses, of social workers, that this isn't something different and out of the ordinary. It's something that's part of everyday life and not something that I think, you know, a, a you know, part of it is that our professionals in different capacities don't have the confidence to approach the topics. And if that was embedded early on in curriculums to challenge that heterosexual assumption to some degree, then then that would help enormously. Yeah, that's a really lovely point, isn't it? That people don't have the confidence to have the conversation or to know how to have the conversation, which is so common in our society. If people want to follow your work, Catherine, or learn more about you, I know that there's the University of Hertfordshire, you know, you've got your profile page on that. But what are the other channels that they can kind of read your work or access it? Well, that would be the main channel to to link to my profile on the University of Hertfordshire website. Um, my papers aren't always easily accessible, but I'm very happy if anybody wanted to email me to send out copies of my work. And I'm also on Twitter at Catherine Almack. So that's another place where I, I tweet about um, information I find about lesbian parents and same-sex parenthood in general. So that's a really good uh, Twitter feed to watch. And I'm cer- I'm going to put up a few pictures of some of your work that I've read on Twitter with your permission. You know, just highlight some of the titles and, and make sure people know it's it's there and that they can access it. Thank you. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. That would be wonderful. And yeah, I'm always very happy to hear from people who are interested in my work. Lovely. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And it's wonderful to speak to you. And certainly I've learned a lot just from the short time we've been speaking. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity. Take care. Thank you. Okay. This Get a Grip podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.